Today's episode of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, is brought to you by Game Time. Okay, folks, time for a little pop quiz. Do you think NHL tickets are cheaper three weeks or three hours before the game? You can find the answer with Game Time, the ticket buying app that proves patience is more than just a virtue. It can save you some serious cash. Game Time is the leader in last minute tickets. Pick your deal, see the view from where you're sitting, and buy in two taps. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. So download Game Time in the App Store or Google Play, work that clock to your advantage, and score last minute tickets. Hey everybody, Scott Burnside here, and across the airwaves, as always, Pierre Lebrun in lovely Toronto, Canada, and this is Two Man Advantage, the podcast, Pierre. You know what, I I haven't mentioned, I I got a week late mentioning Brass Bonanza, and now I'm a week late. I know when we tape these, you are just fresh home from an early morning hockey practice, and uh, like, I just, it just seems like such a Canadian thing. You must be like in full hockey mode by the time we tape this every week. Yes, uh, and it's as Canadian as it gets. It's 6 a.m. Uh, when my son and I wake up and then uh, get to the rink, get him dressed, and then I go to Tim Hortons and get a big extra large with double cream and uh, watch him skate. And uh, on other mornings, it's uh, either one of my daughters. Uh, so both my daughters and my son play, and the weekends in particular, my friend, are complete minor hockey chaos, but I wouldn't want to have it any other way. And you know, both uh, Bob McKenzie and Darren Dreger, who, as everyone knows, live the whole minor hockey life with their kids, always remind me it goes fast. Enjoy every moment of it, and uh, uh, so I got no problem when it says six a.m. I'm I'm ready for it. I love it. Do you, I'm curious. Does it remind you of you know whether you and I you know I assume you took your first hockey steps in in Hearst and then in in North Bay, if I'm not mistaken. But do you, I like when you I always found this, even though. You know, my youth hockey experiences with my son were here in in Georgia, but it, I never. It always reminded me, at least on some level, of of my own experiences as a very middling youth hockey player. But do you? Does it make you think of your own youth as when you're going in, whether it's, you know, you know, going to practices early in the morning or going to tournaments or whatever it is. It does, and and I think the memory probably that connects the most for me is that. Uh, my parents were very present. Uh, you know, my mom was a teacher; is no longer with us, and my dad, who is still hanging out, um, was a superintendent of the school board. But between their schedules, uh, one or the other was always at every game or practice that I had, and and I don't think I appreciated that then, and now I really do looking back because it's uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a gong show at times between my wife and I to make all these hockey events i mean we have from seven to eight to nine events in a weekend sometimes between all the three kids and their teams but we try to make as uh, you know the the vast majority of them and and i just remember how it made me feel when uh you know i did something positive in a game and i knew that either mom or dad were watching so i i you know i try to connect that way with my kids too and um and it's just fun it's just uh there's there's really nothing like it. I absolutely love it. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. All right, 
NHL season, a little bit over two weeks old as, as you and I are chatting here today. And because I, I, I feel warm and fuzzy now having talked about youth hockey and, you know, mornings with <laughs> the, the, the coffee. So let's start with two of the biggest surprises of this early NHL season. And it, it, it's a perfect segue because we are, in fact, going to hear from Edmonton Oilers head coach Dave Tippett later in the podcast. Uh, but two of the surprise teams, the Edmonton Oilers, the uh, Buffalo but, but By the way, by the way, he probably only agreed to join us because Brass Bonanza is our <laughs> intro song as the former he, and Hartford he, Whaler Dave Tippett. That's right. I, in fact, I've asked Dave about uh, the old Hartford Whalers day, uh, days for a, a piece I'm slowly compiling. But uh, Sabres Oilers combined 10-1-1 one, and one, as you and I are chatting today. And I know you talked to, to Ralph Kruger, uh, the new Sabres coach, uh, not too long ago. As I mentioned, we are going to hear from Dave Tippett later in the podcast. Um, I mean, is it? I, it's, I, I get it. Small sample. Um Neither team has won anything yet, but how important is the presence of, of two veteran coaches in those respective franchises where, I mean, really, it's been chaotic for, for both of them, you know, for the most part, literally for years. And I wonder how important it is to have two guys like that and their personalities and their experience. And, and how can you draw the line from A to B that, yes, those two guys are why we're talking about teams that are 10-1-1 two weeks into the season. Yeah, I think both coaching hires are gigantic. Uh, touched on that earlier this week for a piece I wrote. And, you know, both franchises are kind of tied to the hip, not for reasons that either fan base would like. But, you know, it's been a tough decade in each town and both tremendously proud hockey markets. And, you know, you had the tank up lose on Buffalo to get Jack Eichel. And, you know, the Oilers, of course, so happy to get Connor McDavid, but the rest of the league, if you remember Scotty at the time, not feeling that pleased that the Oilers got another, you know, got the pick first again. And and just all these, all the drama that has happened over the past decade in both places. Let's face it, it's great to see what's happening here in the first couple of weeks. There's going to be a come down to earth moment for both teams. I mean, the, the, you know, it's a long year. Um, they're not going to win each other's respective division. Let's be honest, let's be clear. But there's some positive signs, and 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 you know what, these starts are important because those are places where you're trying to change so much of the mentality and the culture and the vibes in those dressing rooms and in those markets about what these teams are about, and and it absolutely starts with these two guys that were hired. I mean, Ralph Kruger, I could go on forever, but. You know, the Cougar Kool-Aid is absolutely in vogue right now with the Buffalo Sabres. And, you know, what I love about Dave Tippett is that he has the presence to be able to weather what's going to what's gonna come at times this year when things are tougher, right? And that's why I think Ken Holland and I talked to Ken earlier this week. You know, I, Ken Holland's not against giving a young coach a chance. I mean, I mean he promoted Jeff Lashell in Detroit, right? Yeah. And in many ways, Mike Babcock was, you know, had had success going to the cup final with Anaheim, but, you know, still an interesting choice when, when he was hired by Ken Holland with that Stanley, you know, uh, perennial contending dynasty Red Wings team. So Ken Holland had shown in the past he can take chances, but in this particular case, I think it was clear, as, you know, Ken and I talked about earlier this week, that someone with experience was needed to come into that market and handle what was, you know, everything that entails being the Oilers head coach and um, 
you know, I, I think it's, you know, there are traits with certain coaches, and Dave Tippett's always been a special team coach. And how about this with Buffalo and Edmonton, ranked one and two on the power play right now as we take this on on Wednesday. And uh, I don't know whether or not that's going to last all year, but uh, both teams have some pretty special offensive players and uh, both at uh, 40% or higher <laughs> in the early going here. Yeah, 17 power play goals be, uh, between the two teams as we were chatting this morning. I, you know, for me, it's I always think it's interesting that you know, part of the problem in Edmonton was a, a lack of a master plan. I think over the you know when you go back to it and after the appearance in the '06 final and losing in seven games to Carolina and then just one playoff appearance since that time. Um, you know, at one point Ralph Kruger was was the head coach in Edmonton and a guy that I think people imagined would help to you know, do the very thing that he's been brought in to do in, in Buffalo now. It's to, mm-hmm. you know, be patient, take, you know, bring his very unique style and his personality to bear and, and to and to see if he could turn things around. And he got, you know, virtually no chance to do it in Edmonton. Um, and, and you know that there's going to be a lot more patience for what he's doing in Buffalo. But uh, I think you're right. They are. There is a lot of connection between the two franchises and, you know, Eichel, McDavid, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, let me ask you this. It may be a bit unfair, but it, it, of the two teams and knowing that Buffalo at one point last year won 10 straight games and still managed to miss the playoffs, which of these two teams do you think is built to build most successfully off this start and, and to be in the top eight at the end of uh, when the dust clears in early April? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough question to answer because, you know, I do think the Pacific Division where the Oilers are is a bit wide open this year. Um, on the other hand, I, I feel like the Sabres have a little more sustainability in what they're doing. Um, again, because I feel that we saw signs last year where this was headed and, and then it fell apart. But, uh, you know, I love the offseason that Jason Bodrill had. I mean, Marcus Johansson, I think, has fit in really nicely there, Scotty. I don't know how, how many games you've watched the Sabres. But, boy, on that second line and the second power play unit, uh you know, a guy with experience who's played on some really good teams in Boston and Washington. I, I, you know, he's, you know, a Swedish veteran uh, on a team that has young Swedish players like Olofsson and Rasmus Dahlin. I, I just love the Marcus Johansson pickup and how it's playing out so far. Colin, Mil- Colin Miller, nice little under-the-radar pickup, taking advantage of, you know, Vegas had some cap complications this summer, but I think Colin Miller is feeling well. Um and, and you know it allows a guy like Middlestat now, who I think has struggled to to take that step here to slide in and more of a bottom six role and find his game, and he's going to have a nice career. But I, I just I think you know it, I hate to say this because it's so simplistic, but you know it, it's going to come down for me to to Carter Hutton and Linus Holmark, and 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 so far they've been absolutely outstanding. But you're in a division in the Atlantic where you have Vasilevsky and Price. And Rask and Bobrovsky and Freddie Anderson, and so uh, that's that's uh, <laughs> that's murderous role for goaltending, and and you know they don't have to be as good as those guys, but they they just have to provide steady enough goaltending to let the rest flow, and uh, I, I you know I think the Sabers have a chance to to stay in the race, you know, and maybe they miss out by a few points, but. I think they're going to play relevant games in March, which would be a really important step here this year. Yeah. Well, you know, what's impressive to me is, you know, they've done, 
you know, had this early success without Brandon Montour, who I think is, is you know, he's, you know, down the road. He's such an important... Yeah, Zach Bogosian's also out. Yeah, yeah both. Yeah, they've, they've been missing some key defensive elements there and are, you know, it, it, those are the kinds of things that if you're a team that's, you know, you walk a tightrope and sometimes those early injuries, you know, it pitches you off the wrong side. And yet uh, the Sabres managed to come up with... Um, you know, important wins without some of those players, and 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 that gives confidence to players who've been asked to step into the role. And and when Brandon Montour comes back and Zach Bogosian, and you know, it just it, in theory it gives you that much more confidence and 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 more options for Ralph Kruger moving forward. So, mm-hmm. um, okay, I was going to I was going to shift gears here, and you know, we talked a little bit about teams that were you know that off to a, a disappointing start, and you know we've seen a couple teams. That have have started to to write themselves. I, I know that uh, you know it, it is amazing. We talk about drawing lines from A to B. Patrick Marlowe has no team. Doesn't look like the Sharks want him back. All of a sudden, there is a route. There is a, a a role for him. There's a place that Doug Wilson, the GM, finds for him, and he steps right in. He produces right away. This is a team now that, you know, I mean, it was an ugly start and now it's less so. Are, are you, I mean, that's got, that's a good, that's a good, I, I, I did, good uh, and, and this was before Marlowe even signed, I believe when we did the, uh, oh no, I guess Marlowe had signed last week. He signed, week, but he hadn't did, played, I think. He hadn't played yet when we taped, and yeah. I did, I believe I told you last week, I thought, There'd be a couple of wins under San Jose's belt the next time we talk. So I'm just I'm just going to point that out, and that in fact has <laughs> you been are the case. visionary. <laughs> uh, I like to point out the ones I get right because there's too many to list when I get wrong. But um, you know the emotion in the Marlow reunion in San Jose. This is why I love sports. Right? I mean, it's just the, the human part of it, and and the response from the fan base in San Jose, and the response from Patrick Marlow who. You know, I've got the cover for many years and has always been a guy that I think at many times would, would sort of hide that side. You know, he, he, he didn't see that side and, and you know, just a pro's pro, but um, didn't necessarily wear his emotions on his sleeve like maybe a, a Joe Thornton did. And Marlowe has not hidden how emotional this has been for him uh, in his return and, you know, scoring two goals in his first game. <laughs> Uh, just crazy, and uh, it's just a lovely story. And, and you know what's going to be nice now is that he goes from being the six point two five million dollar player last year in Toronto, whose production had, had dipped, and you know, uh, Leaf fans and, and correctly so pointing out that you know sixteen goals does not warrant six point two five million, and so on and so on. Now he's the seven hundred thousand dollar longtime shark who comes in and gives them a boost, and no matter. What happens the rest of the year? At seven hundred grand, you're getting pretty amazing value in Patrick Parlow, and I just think it's a great story. Yeah, it is. Um, not such a great story in New Jersey, uh, where the uh, Devils are off to a grisly start. Um, as we're chatting here, and I, I got to tell you, I, I really, I just really, and again, it goes back to your point, you like to think about the things that you get right and maybe ignore the things you get wrong. I really thought the Devils would be a team that, you know, that were going to be, that had a chance to be in the top three in the in the Metro, and, and I just thought the compression of that, 
division, you know, who knows what's going on with Pittsburgh and uh, without Malkin long term, all the things that go on in that division. I really thought the Devils were going to be a factor there. And, and right now they're at 0-4 and 2, uh, woeful minus 16 goal differential. Jack Hughes, number one overall pick. Uh, zero points in six games. Uh, Corey Schneider, 4.09 GAA and 876 uh, save percentage. Um, there are lots of, I mean, there's so many uh, storylines emanating from this Devils team. Uh, we talked about Taylor Hall and how important this season is, obviously, in a contract year there and, and, and what that represents and the, the challenges for GM Ray Shiro moving forward. But when you look at this start, um, how how ugly is it, and 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 what what's your impression of a team that uh, again, at least from my perspective, I thought they were, I just thought they would be much better. Coming mm, well, out they were, as you know, I I pulled the league's coaches just before the season. They were a popular pick among the coaches around the league to surprise this year. Um, let's put it this way: it's never a good thing when uh, a fake New Jersey Devils account fires your coach, and so many people fall for it. <laughs> Because it tells you that some people were willing to believe it. That was not good on Tuesday. Um, yeah, it's uh, they've been brutal. And, you know, they're lost in the league in the penalty kill. And uh, they haven't scored a power play goal. So that's usually not a great recipe. Corey Schneider struggled. And, you know, just such a terrific guy. And, and, and you keep waiting. I mean, I think there were signs last year. But, you know, ever since he had the hip surgery two years ago, it's been a long road. Right, and and I just feel like, I mean, from the outside looking in, which is a dangerous thing to do, but that his confidence is is really shaken. But I'm not sure the defensive coverage in front of him has been all that elite either uh, in the early going here. And you know, they had big leads against Winnipeg and Florida uh, so far this year, and had major collapses, and and that's that's tough to stomach too. Not just losing, but how you lose sometimes. Um, and on top of all this, uh, you got the whole future of Taylor Hall, um, you know, sort of acting as a, a cloud on top of all this. Um, you know, I mean, the, you know, convincing Taylor Hall to sign, I think part of it is convincing him what the future is going to look like here. And, and again, it's only six games. At the end of the day, I think there's no better selling point than the fact that you have Nico Heischer and Jack Hughes as your sentiment options for the next decade. That's pretty enticing. But it still, it, it hangs over the whole thing too if, if they can't turn this around because, you know, suddenly it probably puts Ray Shiro in a tough spot closer to the February 24th trade deadline if, if the Devils are out of it again. So, again, only six games. I think John Hines is an excellent coach. But a lot of work to be done here. And and you can't, and again, one thing you can't discount is that the Devils made a lot of changes this year, right? I mean, from, you know, P.K. Subban and Wayne Simmons and a few other changes. And Nikita Gusev. Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I think we've seen in the last few years that the teams that are the busiest in the offseason often come out the slowest. And what better example than St. Louis Blues a year ago, Scotty, who made a ton of changes and because of the, a lot of those changes, people were picking them to do well, as, as they should. And they completely fell on their face coming out of the gates, as we know. Now, I'm not predicting the Devils hoisting the cup in June. The two totally different cycles and team building between a veteran Blues team and a young Devils team. But I'm just saying that it, it may very well be that, uh, you know, I, I thought Doug Armstrong said something interesting last year at some point. I forget. It wasn't. 
I forget who who he told it to, but I thought it was very prescient. He said it's not just the new guys coming in that are trying to find their roles. It's also the long-standing players sometimes when you make a lot of changes that have to figure out how it affects their new roles, right? And so so it has a real domino effect when you have a busy offseason, and I think I'm seeing that with the Devils right now. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I'm not sure that, I mean, there aren't direct parallels, but uh, the challenges facing Ray Shiro now as a GM there, you know, the pressures to, you know, when do you, you know, when do you consider having to make a change in terms of coaching and you know how much patience do you show for the the very reasons you just outlined because there are so many new moving parts and not just moving parts huge you know critical elements that have come into that lineup Jack Hughes and Wayne Simmons and PK Subban and Nikita Gusev so it's there's a lot of moving parts there um but it is so what they want a real challenge for Ratio on how to how to balance all that and to make sure that you aren't you know, making that knee-jerk reaction. He's been around a long time. He he rode out a lot of ups and downs in Pittsburgh, um, you know, with the team, you know, ebbing and flowing during his time there. So I, I don't expect anything less now. But it, I just thought it was interesting because you had a chat with the, the newest GM in the NHL and Bill Guerin of the Minnesota Wild. And, you know, there's a guy who, now he has the luxury now because he is brand new, but uh, a team that is also really struggling uh, we, as we're taping this, coming off a, a defeat in Toronto, um, but I just thought I really love Bill Guerin's attitude toward all of this, saying, "Hey, you know, I'm not, I'm not jumping into anything. I'm not making rash decisions. I have to find mm-hmm. out what I have here." And I wonder what you're, you know, what you took away from your conversation with him. And we, you know, we, we ran into him in Minnesota in the airport actually when he interviewed <laughs> the first time uh, before Paul Fenton got the job. And I wonder what your impressions were of that, and, and maybe how important that is. You know, it's maybe a you know a, a lesson for teams around the NHL is you know if they aren't getting off to good starts to this season. Yeah, and I think I think to this day Bill Guerin appreciates that we didn't go out and tweet that we ran into him at the <laughs> Minneapolis airport that day in the spring of 2018 when he was uh, obviously interviewing for the GM job that Paul Fenton would get. Um, you know, he, as you know, you know him well, uh, Scotty. He's he's such a impressive guy that always leaves an imprint in any room that he walks into, right? Uh, you know, I think Rob Rossi, who wrote about him last week as well, described him as larger than life. I, I think there's that element to him for sure. Big personality. Um, wants people to do well. Wants people around him to do well. And I, I think I didn't get into this in the q and I did. Uh, but one of the things I think that is notable is, uh, to my knowledge, uh, Bill Guerin has not brought anyone with him to the wild yet in terms of front office people or entourage people. And I think, you know, and I think he's taken a page out of the Jim Rutherford playbook here. If you remember Jim Rutherford going to Pittsburgh, I guess he hired Jason Carmanos. But in general, instead of emptying the front office when he took over for Ray Shiro, because those are all Ray Shiro guys, including, by the way, Bill Guerin. Uh, you know, Jim Rutherford took his time and went into that front office and got to know people and realized, you know what, there's a lot of smart hockey people here. So he did not bring an axe to the front office. Um, and I think Bill Guerin smartly, especially as a first time GM, is 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 going into this with an open mind and getting to know people in the wild front office and giving everyone a chance. Listen, do I think he's going to bring in some people probably after the season? Yeah, because part of the reality is he got hired so late in the cycle right in august that it doesn't give you a whole lot of time anyway but i think 
I just love his approach right now. You know, we talked about trades and listen, the guy's going to make trades for the February 24th, right? I mean, this is a team that needs, that's going to need to sell. But, you know, as he said, you know, the temptation to do something big early because it would, you know, he to make a splash to show that you're, you know, that you're in there. That's in, in a lot of ways selfish. Right? You know, Bill Guerin wants to do what's right, not necessarily what's right for him. And, and I think I just love the positive energy that Bill Guerin is exuding right now and what is going to be a tough situation. Like, let's not sugarcoat this. I mean, this... This is an old team that doesn't have a lot coming up in the farm. And so a lot of tough decisions, tough decisions ahead, and, and including, you know, probably in the offseason, uh, you know, at the head coaching uh, spot. And Bruce Boudreaux, one of the great coaches in this league, but in the last year of his of the coaching component of his contract, he has a couple of consultant years on there. But, you know, Bill Guerin, I asked him, and, and you saw what he said, Scotty, that he's going to be very patient there. He's enjoyed getting to know Bruce. He really respects him. But let's be honest, that's about as far as you can go right now, right? I, I mean, you're, you've inherited a coach. It's a team on the decline. And, uh, you know, maybe some tough decisions ahead in the offseason. We'll see. But I, I just think, I know Wild fans, I could tell from the comments uh, below my Q&A, and now I know what it, what it must feel like to be Mike Russo every day, <laughs> or, um, or uh, superstar uh, Wild beat writer of The Athletic. But that's a pretty disgruntled fan base. Um that you know knows and loves the game as good as any market in the league and wants more and i i would just say to them give give bill garen a chance because i think this guy's got the goods well i think it's you know and i think you're to your point as we get closer to that trade deadline and, and you know as we're as we chat here the the wilder they're off to a grisly start they're one in five they're minus 11 goal differential which is worst in the western conference it's going to be a long season i think it will be fascinating come trade deadline time you got a lot of veteran players there whether it's an eric stall a zach parise ryan Suter. um those last two guys have huge still lots of term left but you know is there those those will be the moments where i think bill Guerin will you know that will be the first real test for him and in terms of you know unless they suddenly get themselves up off the mat but uh if there's you know if there's a way to you know to to change you know turn those assets into something mm-hmm. younger and you know longer term more viable for where they're at but uh, fascinating uh, all right i, I want to we're getting towards the end of the first part of Two Man Advantage, the podcast, and I want to st- I, you talk about difficult decisions coming up. And I thought I wanted to touch on this uh, because it's uh, it won't be the first time that we talk about it, but it is already an issue in Washington now. And you know what happens with their goaltending? Uh, mm. Braden Holtby off to a, a very difficult start, four twenty seven GAA, eight forty six save percentage. Uh, by comparison, the youngster, the goalie of the future. Maybe Ilya Samsonov at 143 GAA and a 944 save percentage. Fewer, you know, he hasn't started as many times as Braden Holpe, but already a decision there for head coach Todd Reardon and how he divvies up the goaltending starts. And Braden Holpe coming off a very difficult start against Colorado. I think three goals on three shots to start. And, it, you know, it's it, it, it has been a recurring storyline for the Capitals for the last couple of years, including the year they won the Stanley Cup. Uh, wasn't the starter when the playoffs began in 2018. Um, Philip Grubauer was. Um, but he's in a contract year. You have an expansion draft coming up in a year and a bit. 
what's what's your what kind of pressures being you know is is looming for GM Brian McClellan, head coach Todd Reardon, and for Braden Holpe? There's a lot of balls in the air uh, with the Capitals goaltending moving forward. First of all, having uh, Phoenix Copley still signed for a couple more years is probably <laughs> vis-a-vis the expansion draft uh, an, an important thing to remember. But yeah, I mean, listen, and, and listen, high hopes for Samsonov, right? And there's a reason they took him yeah. where they took him, and, and always takes a bit longer with goalies. But you know, this could be a fascinating year where maybe he steals the net. A little early to be saying that now, mind you, but uh, it's it's not impossible. You know, he's 22 and. Um, you know, they, this is a guy that has franchise goalie written all over him. We'll see if he can live up to that. And, of course, the contract decision with Braden Holpe is, 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 you know, he did not get signed this summer, right? He did not get the old one-year-out treatment that some legacy players get. Now, neither did Nick Backstrom, so there's a bit of democracy there, right? I mean, Nick Backstrom didn't get it either. He's up after the year. I think wisely, frankly, on the part of Brian McCollum, I... I you know, Dean Lombardi's talked about this, and you know, no one does more analysis than Dean Lombardi. And as he looks back at both his successes as winning two cups in LA, but also, sadly, the way it, it ended, you know, uh, roster loyalty was was is one of the things that Dean uh, talks about in terms of self criticism, right? And because you win with guys, you want to show them that loyalty. And and so this this will be the great test, I think, for the Caps, both with Holby and Backstrom. I think Backstrom comes back. I think they'll figure that out. Still a very good offensive player. Less risk there, although he is 31, so term will be big. Holby's just fascinating because he's 30 years old. I mean, I think he's going to be a good goalie still for many years. But how many? You know, I mean, Sergey Bobrovsky and Carey Price have these huge, huge maximum extensions, right? I mean, uh, or contracts. Bobrovsky going to Florida and, and Price staying put in Montreal. But I, I don't think the Caps are in any position to give Braden Holpe seven or eight years, do you? I mean, I mean, so that's where this, the crux of this will be, A, you know, there's a hold off Samson off this year and, and be the Braden Holpe that we know he can be. But B, even if he does... What's a fair deal, uh, you know, at this stage of his career? I, and I don't know that there's an easy answer. It's, I, I, you know, I remember talking to Braden at the uh, All-Star Game in, C, uh, in San Jose last year. And they, at that point, the Caps were just, they'd gone sideways. It was, you know, the cup hangover was real for them. And, um, it, you know, it, his numbers have continued to... You know, there has been a decline over the last three or four years for Braden Holtby, right? I mean, he's Vezina quality goaltender, but his regular season numbers have not reflected the, that the last two or three years. And of course, what must be of some concern to Brian McClellan is that when you're thinking ahead, like the window's still open, is, as far as I'm concerned, for this team to be a Stanley Cup contender, right? I mean, Ovechkin still continues to produce at a high level. Nick Backstrom coming off a tremendous year. Um, and we know what Holpe did coming out of the bullpen in 2018. So there, that must hang over. Okay, right to your point. How do you well, how do you navigate these waters? I, I think next spring is a huge. It's going to be huge for for the Caps as an organization, and and certainly huge for for Braden Holpe in terms of his future there, and maybe his future elsewhere in terms of his marketability. But it, you're right. There's so many. So many moving parts to this. Well, um, I, I, and certainly, unless unless you think it's negatively affecting his performance, 
I, I don't know that I make that decision until the, the last possible moment. I mean, I, I would definitely wait until after the season to figure this out, right? Yeah. You, you yeah, want no as question. much evidence as possible in front of you before you figure this out, I think. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for dropping by Two Main Advantage today. If you wanted to stick around and hear Pierre and I chat with head coach Dave Tippett of the Edmonton Oilers, all you need to do is get yourself a subscription to The Athletic and you will be right along with us. Right on, right on.